This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. There we go. Thanks to Faith for the room with the viewers there. And here we are today with Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1215. Yes. <laughs> Titled Mortally Wounded Engines. And our podcast title is Reverse the Reverse Podarity. I couldn't think of what the opposite of reverse was. I mean, I'm thinking forward, but, you know, I just, I will go with that. My synonyms and antonyms, they're just not there today. And um, we are looking at a number of things today. They were talking about movies before we came in. Yes, so I hope you're prepared for more movie talk. Yeah. We'll also do a little bit of TV as well. Yeah, absolutely. You've been to see some things too. Yes, I have been to see some things. Uh, <laughs> You mean my live performance things? Yes. Yes. So I went along to um, the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra does sort of the live score of a bunch of different movies and they've been doing Star Wars films and Harry Potter films and so I went and saw The Empire Strikes Back on Friday, which was a lot of fun and I think part of the joy of that, besides it being probably my favourite... Um, is that there's a lot of the famous lines happen in that film. So people sort of cheered along with that. And obviously the live score was amazing um, and the orchestra did an amazing job because it's quite – there's some long action scenes where they've really got to play their hearts out for a decent amount of time. So that was very – and they'll be doing um, Return of the Jedi towards the end of next year. So mm-hmm. highly recommend that. That was a lot of fun. And they do – people in cosplay and things are there beforehand and lots of fans saw a couple of um, – People dressed up in their Star Wars garb. So, yeah, it's a good vibe. The robes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't actually done many Star Wars costumes. Um, I think I did a Klingon Jedi night once. Oh, nice. With a, a, a Batleth Klingon sword, lightsaber. <laughs> and um, what's the other thing I've done? A Star- oh, I did. I was a snowwalker. Oh, cool. A, an yeah, AT, nice. AT all-terrain armoured transport. <laughs> of course you chose, I think, yes, the easiest possible costume. Yes, obviously, the most comfortable. You could dance in it quite well, though, because once you stood up and got off the stilts. That's true. <laughs> once you sort of... Did we introduce ourselves? I don't think we have. I don't know. Who are we? Uh, well, I'm Megan McHugh. And I'm Rob Jan. And we are looking at uh, Doctor Who straight away. And it takes you away, which was episode number... Nine of the 13th Doctors. Yes, I didn't realise we were coming up so quickly to the end. Mm. Yes, this is not America. No. These are not 24, 22 season shows. I guess it's a long season and by British standards too, there was more than four episodes. (laughs) More more than six, that's usually the standard. So, yeah, we're coming towards the end. What has four? Oh, that would be like Sherlock or something Sherlock has three or four, yeah. But aren't they like longer things? They're they're like like an hour and a half or something? Yeah, that's true. Sherlock episodes were always like an hour and a half. Yeah. Okay, it takes you away. This is directed by Jamie Childs, who's done five episodes in this season, including the finale. And this is not the finale, this is the penultimate episode. And the New Year's special, which is called Resolution. And uh, that's uh, this, this week's episode, last week's episode, no, the week before. Was yeah, it a couple of weeks ago. Written by Ed Heim, who also wrote for Skins, which is a show <gasps> I've not seen. Oh, I used to love that show. Yeah. Did you Have you heard of it? Yes. Yeah. But I think you would know just because of um, 
Nicholas Holt and things, mm. the actors that have come out of it. Mm. Yeah. But once I turned in and found out that Skins had nothing to do with it, wasn't a horror show or anything. No. <laughs> I get sucked in so easily by things like that. I used to love that show. Anyway. So here we go. Jodie Whittaker um, sort of in the end blocks of the first of her seasons as mm-hmm. the 13th mm-hmm. Doctor. Uh, and, of course, Bradley Walsh and Tosin Cole and Mandip Gill as her companions, Graham, Ryan and Yasmin. And this story revolved around the Doctor and her companions arriving. See, I did it there. Her companions. I finally got it right. In uh, Norway, in contemporary yep. times, to the proverbial isolated cabin in the Norwegian woods. Yes. And uh, that cabin proved to be a little bit um, sort of Marie Celeste initially, maybe yeah. like um, Hadley's Hope Colony on LV426, nobody around, you know, that sort of thing. And one child survivor. Yes. Just and like those things. And thus begins our plot that has a few twists and turns and a couple of MacGuffins in there. Yeah. I thought it had, and, of course, we are spoiling these ones. Yes. So you've had, it's a couple of weeks old now, so mm. I think we're within our rights to spoil. Um, so, yeah, so we they embark on the cabin um, to sort of investigate. And then, obviously, when they find this young child alone, uh, she's vision impaired as well. Um, they're out, they sort of want to figure out exactly what's going on there because... Her father is missing, so she's in the cabin on her own and she's sort of, um, she mentions that, yeah, her dad has gone away to get, I think she said, I can't remember exactly, but to get food or do something, disappeared somewhere and he hasn't returned for several days. Mm, that's the setup. Um, to, to far, how do you describe this plot? Uh, he's actually disappeared into a, into another universe through yes. something called the anti-zone, which mm. is kind of like a limbo or a buffer space between our universe and this other universe. If they overlap, you'll get this, like, big kaboom. Yep. Uh, and uh, in the other universe, it's actually sentient. Yes, so I think that's what I found very interesting towards the end of this episode, that it's a living universe, Mm. that it's all things inside it are sort of um, part of this sentient being. It's called the Solitract, uh, and it's... um it's been exiled for our own from um, from our own universe because it's incompatible with us. Hence that sort of buffer zone, and leading them through the buffer zone because, of course, the, the Doctor and company go through there after the, trying to find the missing father. Uh, yeah, there's sort of a bit of a there's, cert, there's yeah there's a couple of things at play here. One of which is the missing father. Then this idea of this beast that's out there that's threatening the cabin mm. so she, the young girl can't go out at night which ends up being a bit of a misdirect yes um and then yeah they enter this mid zone and meet up with our friend what was his name ribbons yes ribbons played played by kevin eldon who's um uh who was on the uh, science fiction comedy series hyperdrive oh. uh, that's where he met his his wife too by the way uh, he doesn't last terribly long in this episode really the flesh moths get him mm. what was a great little concept wasn't it which i also think i mean there's a few things where you're like surely you know the moths are a bit selective about who they devour from the way this plot has gone but i was willing to forgive it yeah and he deserved it well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so they make their way through into this alternate living universe i mm. guess and it's um, trying to lure them to stay Yes, using some very manipulative means, mm. which also creates a good opening for us to explore some of the more emotional uh, fallout of what's happened in the season. <laughs> Cough. Graham 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor old Graham. I know. <laughs> I knew we'd come through in the end, though. Yes. Um, in terms of you, you can always tell he's going to come through. They um, uh, essentially, well, you know, because we are spoiling it. They they resurrected his uh, his dead wife. Well, sort of Grace. created a a doppelganger. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it becomes clear that it's sort of the the li- the solid tractors. Yeah, um, controlling this. everything here. So, uh, and that 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 was you know, if you have tears, prepare to shed them now. Sort of story. Oh, oh poor it's, a, it's a worthwhile journey though for the last little payoff, yes, yes. emotional payoff. Yes, so, and, yeah. and the, this is the, there's a lot in this one that reminded me so much of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. That sort of whimsy. Yeah. From the uh, the fact that they're set, the, the Doctor makes a comment about the uh, the lovely fjords. Yeah, <laughs> the field bit up at the top of the country, to um, uh, the the frog. Yes, the frog in this. Yes, so it's sort of we get to a point where the universe uh, mirror image that's been created kind of boils back down to a frog on a chair. Hmm. <laughs> Very weird. <laughs> oh, this is like Frankie and Benji Mouse in um, Hitchhiker's Guide. You know, it's, it's, it's a nice little touch there. Um, <laughs> other stuff, and it's always I keep coming back to Graham here. I love the fact that Graham has learnt to carry a sandwich in his pocket at all times. Yeah, exactly, and it works. Yeah, it like works. I think they were making fun of him, but that's what kind of got them in with the young girl at the at yeah. sort of when they got there. <laughs> He's learnt when you're travelling in the TARDIS, the, the the meal breaks are few and far between. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I wonder too about like change of clothes, but you know. So. You know, this is what you know. What everyone else is making, exploring the TARDIS's vast resources inside, because you won't—you actually haven't seen the rest of the TARDIS. But no. there's like a library. Well, I didn't realize there was more. Oh, there's so much more. <laughs> there's a library. There's uh, somewhere to sleep. I swimming pools, uh, sleeping quarters, a vast wardrobe, right. a sick bay, which actually looks like the BBC's one, strangely enough. <laughs> You know, this is, it's a vast, All right. huge so thing. It continues on from what I've seen. So while everyone else is sort of doing that, maybe trying to find the TARDIS's cat if there is one, and there must be, <laughs> <laughs> um, Graham is sitting there making a sandwich. Preparing, <laughs> preparing. for the outing. <laughs> but I think, I mean, what the episode's really trying to do, obviously, is a bit of a discussion on grief because the, mm. the girl's father has gone to that other universe and is staying there because the image of his um, his dead wife is also there. Yes. So he's spending time. And I think, you know, it's a very interesting take on, um, you know, sort of getting absorbed in the grief mm. at the expense of um, his daughter's well-being. And it's sort of very clearly, the metaphor is pretty clearly spelled out with this idea of him leaving her for several days mm. <laughs> back in the other universe so he can spend time with the wife do you think that plays well with the uh, the solid tracks um uh, abrupt sort of change of universal mind when it decides that it would rather be friends with the doctor than sort of uh, have everyone imprisoned with it yeah i mean i guess hmm. i mean i think it's the i guess it's the idea of that universe is meant to really love this universe hmm. and kind of you know sh- shows that in many different ways, like this manipulation, but then also maybe can get talked around by the Doctor. Yeah, that's interesting. There's lots to unpack in that. Um, I don't know if they actually had time to unpack it all in the show because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm thinking about it afterwards and going, hmm. There's some stuff in there that I really loved uh, all around the uh, 
uh, Jodie Whittaker's doctor. Uh, during the episode, Jasmine um, says we can just reverse the polarity. Now, this is a, a time-honoured thing in Doctor Who. Yeah. Going back so far through the, through the incarnations. Uh, and and Jodie's doctor just says, reverse polarity, you speak my language. <laughs> <laughs> I loved when she talked about the... She just casually drops a, f- a future spoiler about the Woolly Rebellion. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where sheep-human negotiations... Um, they turn sour. Yeah, they turn the, sour. The, the sheep revolt. <laughs> and she's got this fra- turn of phrase where she says, oh, that's a bit of a head wonk. <laughs> I think, okay. And now we know the Doctor has seven grandmothers and her favourite is uh, Granny Number 5. Mm. <laughs> you know, this is all good stuff. You know, there's other details in there, like the, the guys. Like I think it's uh, Eric was his, the character name. Yeah, that yeah. His good. um his Slayer T-shirt reverses. Oh, I didn't even yeah, notice that. That's very clever. Thing. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was cool. I uh, mean, there's a lot of details. Like I think something that I really liked was obviously because the young girl um, can't see when the doctor's like leaving them. She leaves him with Ryan. She leaves her with Ryan. Yeah, and then she writes up on the the wall. Um, some instructions for him, but pretends it's a map, and the instructions sort of just say, you know, assume the father is dead um, and protect her or what have you. Yeah. And then obviously when the father comes back, he sort of sees that, and I think he realises, you know, that he'd kind of, how long he'd abandoned his child that these strangers thought that he was, you know, dead. You know, he must be dead because otherwise why would he not be there kind of thing. I, I do hear, you know, obviously listening to the fans and stuff, hearing uh, lots of disparaging comments about the poor quality writing and uh, the stakes aren't high enough and overall uh, of the season or this episode individual episodes yeah, sometimes right. and and that and, and I'm not entirely on board with that because I think that they're trying something different here mm. quite often and I, and I really like the that Jody's doctor is different to several of the doctors that I've seen mm. in the past she has a completely different take to on some Unresolving some of the conflicts. Yeah. And I also think she's a very different kind of female lead action figure. Mm. Uh, action figure. But you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. Probably one of those two. No, actually, she's a Barbie doll. But there's, um, there's something about her character that we don't see too often. Mm. Like, reflect upon her compared to, say, Ripley or Buffy. Yeah. Uh, you know, she does things in a different way. And she's sort of... Um, she kind of works things out. Like, a lot of the time... Um, you know, it's either you're so smart you figure it out right, right away, which she does do sometimes, but I think often there's a bit of trial and error and things like that as well. Yes, and you see her working mm. it out there on yeah. the spot. Yeah, I, I like that. I also like the fact that she doesn't always recourse to blowing things up. No. She's prepared to do it. She's got some firm <laughs> ideas, and I like that in terms of, you know, what she does and doesn't stand for. And they don't isolate her in the... Um, in the cast, it's not like, oh, I am the Doctor, I walk in eternity, you know, I'm a Time Lord. You're no, they're very much a group. Yeah. 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 Is there some Doctors that are like that? Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah, there's, there's you know, there's been some Doctors have been quite quite nasty, some have been quite um, petty, uh, you know, they've all got these, these things. I, I suppose, too, because there's a small group of them. Hmm. It's not just the Doctor and the Companion. Is this like... Because that's... And even when they talk a lot about in that episode, you know, it's a flat higher... It's a... What do they say? Flat hierarchy. Yes. I think that that's kind of a comment on it's not this man in power position sidekick. It's It's sort of a... You know, they're very even. They're all contributing. It is very much a team yeah. team vibe. She's the leader. That's going to honk a lot of people off. 
yeah, I mean, not me. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, bring it on. Give me some modern sort of twenty first century stuff in here. And the whole point is, it's try- yeah, it's something different. It's a change. Like I'm sure at some point Doctor Who will go back to having a different model. Like there's no reason why. You know, if you're desperate to have this power figure sidekick, hmm. like... I'm not. You've got thousands of seasons, thousands of episodes of that under your belt. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm sorry that you had to watch 10 episodes of, you know, group of people <laughs> working together. <laughs> yes. It, it's It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Captain Picard's Enterprise. You know, they'll have a bit of a consult and a... Yeah. And a, a jammy dodger. No, what, what are the biscuits that she was having? I can't remember. Whatever they come, the, the TARDIS dispense some sort of biscuits. Oh, the, uh, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can't remember. The nice biscuits, whatever they are. Yeah. But yeah, I just think that, um, I think it's a silly criticism if you want a show to always stay the same and do the same thing, even when that thing clearly isn't working anymore. Mm. Mm. She says after watching no other seasons. But that's my vibe. I think I- sometimes shows have to take a risk and it works out or it doesn't. Well, I'm not sure Jodie Whittaker's watched any other series either. So there, you know. Yeah. Uh, I also like the fact that um, she has this great command of the sonic screwdriver when she, she just does that so well. She points. The point. Yeah, yeah. And it's like very affirmative. Very good. The point in sonic. We'll, we'll talk about the, uh, the season finale uh, after this, but we're going to play a track that has actually dropped. They're, they're, they're teasing the, um, the soundtrack album for the 13th Doctor's first season. Uh, on um, iTunes at the moment. Nice. But one track you can actually buy and, uh, and download now. Uh, and this is by, of course, the new composer, Segan a- Akinola, mm-hmm. and it's just called uh, 13. It starts out a bit quiet. This is Raymond D. Feiss, scribe of Midkemia, and you're listening to Zero G, science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio. Here we go, 13. Not 11, but 13. Mm. The track that tells you all about the thematic content of the season of Doctor Who that we've just finishing uh, watching now and wrapping up. Except we don't. There's a, uh, what you might call it, a New Year's Day special. Yes, in lieu of the famous Christmas special. Yeah. So that'll be coming up eventually. And um, I've just reversed the polarity on my headphones, <laughs> so I can't put them back on. But that's all right. Uh, they could be more sonic, the headphones. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you flip the ear thingy. Yeah. I've seen you do it a few times, and then I'm, I just want to reach across and <laughs> fix it up. <laughs> I feel the same way about Princess Leia in that, with the croissant hairdo. Just fix that up. Okay, uh, all right, so we're on to the, um, the second uh, episode of Doctor Who we want to talk about today, which is the actual season finale, mm-hmm. except for the New Year's special. Um, so much controversy that there's a New Year's special instead of a Christmas one. Big deal. Gosh, fans, fans <laughs> are so uh, in- invested, aren't they? I don't know, actually, if it is. It might be just trolls. Like bot trolls. Because mm. um, uh, what's the difference? Is is the Christmas special always Christmas theme, or is it just a Christmas time? Usually a Christmas um, time theme. theme. A bit of a uh, it happens on Christmas Day. Right. The episode story takes place. Okay. On. You haven't seen one yet. No. Oh my goodness. And I, I won't yeah, <laughs> until until they do it again. Uh, have you? Have you? I, this is asking a lot, and and it's not a. A test or anything? Oh, have you well, thought? Have you um, thought about going back and watching any of the earlier Doctor Who stuff? I have. I looked at. I had a little poke around. Um, I mean, I like Amy Pond. I was interested oh. in watching some of her seasons. Um, obviously, I wouldn't mind watching the David Tennant seasons because I think that was kind of the peak of around when 
a lot of people I know were watching Doctor Who. Um, I have thought about it, but it's still overwhelming to know where to start. Mm, it's a big body of work. And whether you can just start with a later Doctor or... I mean, I'm not going all the way back, but I guess <laughs> how far back do I go? Yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to tackle that question. <laughs> so, People mm. do ask me that and, and it's a question that's so difficult. You know, you could say, well, the classic uh, Doctor Who, you, you go back and there's like several third Doctor stories that are absolutely, you know, essential viewing. But then there's a big chunk of Tom Baker that's essential viewing. And well, and that's it. Like, am I going to be more lost because I think... One thing that I've, from what I understand of this season, is that it's much more standalone or a bit of a, a fresh take. Mm. And depending on where I sort of plonk myself in on the old Doctor Who, is am I going to be a bit lost? Well, you see, because the old ones, <laughs> sounding like one of those, here I am, Jan spining, but I get to do that. <laughs> uh, the the I welcome your there Jan spleen. Isn't that how the how the uh, the time the, the flow chart goes? Um, did she ask you to explain it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I have. I've requested your it's, comment. It's like being a vampire and being invited into the room. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, the 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 older Doctor serial are serials. Yeah. So there'll okay. be like uh, four episodes for one story. Yeah. Yeah. Which means there's an awful lot of getting knocked on the head and being imprisoned and being and then having released. to free yourself or yeah. solve some issue. Or... And, and it's usually a companion who that's happening to. Oh wow! Well. You know, so the woman. Yeah. Well, and all the bloke, uh, and sometimes the doctor too. Although I notice in the old days, whenever the doctor's being rescued by a companion, and they're they're usually strapped, the doctor's usually strapped down to some awful contraption, and the power's being raised. Okay. The first thing the companion will do is turn the dial the wrong way <laughs> feeble companion <laughs> but yeah so that that can be a bit of a stumbling block with the the serialization of the old ones too so and i guess i mean for me i think there's so much content out now and yeah. there's so much i really want to enjoy and i've enjoyed doctor who but, but. i part of what i've enjoyed about it is jody whittaker and and so I'm just not sure. I mean, one day maybe, but at the moment it's not on my list. It sounds like something the doctor would say. One day. <laughs> in fact, it is. One day. Yes, one day. Exactly. <laughs> but you have something to talk about. Oh, yes. So speaking of uh, content and available content, um, I thought I'd just give a little bit of an update on some of the good things we can stream as we head into the holiday season. And hopefully people are getting time off and such. Um, so Stan dropped on the 14th, so a couple of days ago, um, a bunch of Disney content. So they've obviously got the rights to this Disney content, which is a pretty big get because for a long time, Disney's been quite clutchy with their rights to things. I remember even a while ago when everything was on DVD, they'd only release things on DVD at certain times. Mm. And so if you didn't get it, like you, you just couldn't get it. It wasn't readily available all the time. So they've, and that includes all of, not all of, but includes Marvel content and Lucasfilm content as well, as well as all your old favourites. So just um, as a little... So Star Wars The Last Jedi is on there, um, which is pretty good because it's about due to, to be on streaming. Um, Marvel-wise, Black Panther, Thor, Ragnarok, so all of those kind of very recent... Um, Marvel ones. Also, there's... All the way back to Iron Man, actually. Yeah, so there's also a lot of the older content, Aven the Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron's on there. You've got Iron Man on there. Iron Man 3's on here. That's the one you like, isn't it? 
I like them all. <laughs> of course you do. But then that also means the Disney content is on there. So you've got The Lion King, Frozen, Little Mermaid, things like that. And then newer ones like Coco, Toy Story is on there, Incredible. So a lot of your old staples are in there. So just have a bit of a poke around. So that's on Stan. Was Sleeping Beauty in there and, uh, you know, that older sort of... In terms of old, Beauty and the Beast is on there. So that's uh, one of your older ones. Um, I'm not sure exactly how far back it goes. So it doesn't have all of the property, but it does have a really good amount. I mean, I was happy to see The Little Mermaid on there. I haven't had an opportunity to watch that for a really long time. Um, but then it's also got their newer things like um, A Wrinkle in Time and things like that. Oh. So, and they've got Star Wars Rebels is on there. So, just have a bit of a, a poke around and see what you can... Mulan. I've never watched Mulan. Oh, I love that. Film. I really should watch it. Um, I love the dragon. <laughs> so, Jungle Book, 101 Dalmatians. So, they do have some of those older Disney films from, from back in the time. Bambi. Oh, so they are going back. Yeah, oh. so they're going pretty far back. Fantasia. Isn't this odd, given that they're having a streaming channel, they're creating their own next year? Well, I suppose in terms of, I guess it might be an Australian, maybe we might not get that streaming channel for a really long time. Oh. And so, because, you know, we're always a little bit delayed. Um so, I don't know. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. I didn't realise that was all coming to stand, so... Yeah, it just dropped there. Um, yeah. So, you know, fork out the 10 bucks, guys. And, and speaking of seasonal specials? Yes. So, there's also... speak. We'll just switch gears to another streaming service. Yes. Um, Sabrina, which we've both enjoyed. So, you were pleasantly surprised by I that. I was, actually. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. They're doing a Christmas special, which is already available now on Netflix. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I'll be keen to watch that. I'm watching that later in the week with some friends. So do you think you'll... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh-huh. maybe we can dissect that a little in the coming weeks. But yeah, I think that's pretty fun. I also think that's a pretty good way to get people interested in the show. Hmm. Um, I highly recommend checking the, that show out. So it's a lot of fun. So while we're checking out shows, we're on the ultimate episode of the mm. Doctors, the 13th Doctors, 10th and final episode. Available on ABC Ivy. Yes. And I'm going to take a run at this. It's called Mm. The Battle of Ranskur of Kolos. It's not bad. It's directed by Jamie Childs, who, as we've said, has directed five different episodes of this season. Mm -hmm. And it's written by Chris Chibnall, the showrunner as well. And this episode, uh, getting quite a good viewership over in Britain for this, 5.32 million viewers. Mm -hmm. And it's the top of the sandwich. I think they've got a very clear... Because we're spoiling this as well. What kind of sandwich? The top of the sandwich. <laughs> a Graham, <laughs> Graham sandwich. <laughs> so it's very much, I think, it's meant to be the bookend for the season. Yeah. Um, and it's designed that way. So obviously it is the last episode, but they didn't have to do it that way. No. But they've definitely decided they want to do a bit of a throwback. And it's um, a week out, so we can spoil it. Yes. So prepare yourself or tune out if you haven't watched it yet. That, that The title is The Name of the Planet, which is... Um, we will now refer to as R-A-K or Rack. Yes. <laughs> Make it easy on us. Yeah. Ourselves. There's a lot of uh, distress signals coming from there because there's a uh, there have been many battles fought on this the planet's surface. Yes. The reason for that is that uh, Tim Shaw. Tim Shaw. Is there, <laughs> which is not how it's spelt, but that's nope. the way everyone pronounces it. I love it. it. Our, our, uh, our, our, our tooth very unfairy man who's an alien uh, despot or wannabe despot, and he's been marooned on this planet after being defeated by the Doctor in the first episode of the season. Yes. So here's our... And again, arc. gosh, more 
chances for Graham to dredge up his fresh pain. Oh. Terrible. But at least he gets from his um, uh, grandson, Ryan, he gets a, a fist bump. Yes. This time. And I think Ryan really had the opportunity. I mean, I think Ryan's sort of... He hasn't had as much opportunity for growth, but I think that he makes some really good points in this episode, and I really liked that that they had some bonding time and Ryan was the voice of reason yes. for once rather than Graham having to talk him down. So that was a nice switch and it shows you, I think it's designed to show you how far their relationship has come uh-huh. and how far they've come as people. Because it actually is quite an important point. The Doctor tries not to kill mm. uh, and she makes a very big point of explaining the rules to everybody in this episode. Yeah. Although then she goes and promptly bends them saying, look, I can blow things up as long as it's something that can be repaired. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, I think... <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough to have your own moral guidelines. Yeah. So um, the the thing, again, in this case, Tim Shaw is responsible for Graham's wife's death. Yes. And, uh, you know, he wants to get payback. Uh, the yippee ki payback type. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> was that great? Uh, so there was a lot of things to um, to sort out there, and I think they did, they, they did that with grace, let's yes. say. Yes, yeah. Uh, I like the, um, the aliens, the ucks. There are only two of them? Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I just... that That's a lonely existence. What are they, Sith or something? You know, I just don't always even... Always there are two. Sure. They were played by uh, Phyllis Logan, who's a Scottish actress, who we will know from uh, playing Mrs. Carson in da- Downton Abbey. Oh, yes. And also um, uh, the voice of Ing Sok in uh, the 1984 film back in the day. Oh, I remember gosh. that vividly. And uh, uh, Purcell Ascot played the other alien uh, English actor who we've seen on uh, Wizards vs. Aliens, strangely enough. Mm. Uh, and there was one other guest star, uh, apart from um, <laughs> apart from Tim Shaw, um, Mark Addy, who played Paltracky. Now, he's a, yes. a venerable actor, and we know him from um, Game of Thrones. Oh, that's where he's from. Yes. I didn't even look him up, but I was like, I know your face. Didn't have a beard. Yeah. yeah. They never look the same as they do in Game of Thrones. King Robert Baratheon. Of course. He's also played Fred Flintstone too. <laughs> what, a, what a range. What a range. <laughs> I'm well known as Fred or Robert Baratheon. And, and I was quite convinced by all three of those uh, yeah. additional characters. Once again, good use of side characters, mm-hmm. nice selection of actors for them. And the uh, the planet's sort of psychoactive thing that could... That seemed a little bit sort of thrown in there. It was not necessary. No. But, sure, I guess they needed a reason to have those little devices because it becomes integral in, you know, solving yeah. the problem at the end. But it seemed a bit tacked on. And I'm not sure about Graham and Ryan... Um, Avoiding getting shot by attacking cyberbots by ducking under the beams and having them kill each other. I mean, there's a couple <laughs> of eyebrow raises in, and also how they get Tim Shaw into that thing at the end. I don't think Tim Shaw is just going to hustle in there. Yeah. So, but look, but it's allowed did. a few passes. And I, and I like that Graham bent the rules enough to shoot Tim in the foot. I know, and he's like, <laughs> and he shot him just in the to foot. shut him up. It's like the Terminator. They'll he'll live. <laughs> so good. I I think Graham's. Yeah, he's my favourite. Uh, and I think I've said this before, but it, it occurs to me that I actually identify with Graham now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is like middle-aged guy. You'd make a sandwich before heading out of the town. Yeah, I, I, I try and absorb that sort of stuff and go, well, what does the doctor actually need out yeah. there? And I'll take that and this and, you know, all that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> so actually a big long ball of string usually helps too. <laughs> uh, okay, so... what? Did- 
No, sorry, you go. No, no, you go. I was just going to say, what was your overall sort of vibe of this episode, like, because as a final episode? Well, there was a lot of high stakes in this, um, which didn't, was sort of underplayed. They had five planets that were miniaturised. Yeah. You know, shades of um, uh, uh, going far back to a Tom Baker episode called The Pirate Planet. Um, where they were miniaturising, doing terrible t- space-time things to whole planets. And she makes a couple of references to things that are canon, right, that I didn't understand. Something about turning something into an egg and doing something Oh, yeah, else. yeah, uh, uh, Slovene. That's, um, you know, it's just uh, a new Doctor just Who. Just throwaway thing. Yeah, and towing a whole planet with the TARDIS yeah, once, right. which is actually an important episode. So the skakes were actually big, but they were kind of underplayed. Yeah. And I, and I, don't, I don't really mind that. That's a strange thing about it. There's, there's stuff that's happening with this Doctor and this season that, that sometimes I, I'd stop and think, oh, maybe they could have pushed that further, but I don't mind it. Yeah, it's it, interesting. Like, I think I, I'm not sure about it as the last episode. It's not my favourite. Mm. And I think that it didn't feel as coherent's the wrong word because it was fine in terms of the flow. Mm. I just, I don't know. Some of the other episodes, even though they've not as much as happened, have felt pacier. So, yeah, I was a little a little disappointed. But that doesn't mean I don't think it wasn't accomplished in its own way. I just was a little disappointed by it, to be honest. What do you think of the season overall? I quite liked it. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. Like, I think about midway is when I really hit my stride of really quite enjoying the episodes. I think it was very eclectic, but... I also feel that maybe it would have been nice to have a few more episodes considering it was so eclectic in terms of the types of episodes that we got to see. I think that in a short season, um, I mean, it still felt like a coherent season though, but I would have liked to see maybe a few more episodes to help us really grow into sort of feeling them as an ensemble. Like, I quite like them by the end, but it feels it feels very unfinished. Mm. And I think maybe that's on purpose so we can be anticipating more episodes. But I also think it could have been given a little bit more room, which is the opposite of how I feel about so many of the US seasons where things drag to deliberately reach some kind of episode cap. Especially... Um Streaming ones that run for 13 episodes. Yeah, like sometimes it feels like it takes a while to kick into things or there's some episodes which are a bit of a gimme. Here I felt we could have done with a couple more because I was thinking back to the episodes like, oh, there was that and that and that. And yeah, I just feel like um, not in a bad way. I guess it's a good thing that I wanted more. And I think the season holds up as it is. I loved Rosa. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, and Kablam. I liked Kablam a lot. And Kablam a lot. That sounds like a <laughs> learner and low Because it was, it was in an interesting place. You, there was a bit of a surprise in there and it felt tense. I think it was it was quite well done. I, I, I liked Demons in the Punjab too. Yeah, I quite liked that one too. I liked the historical ones. I didn't love Witchfinders. Um it's, yeah, looking at the, the list, it's, it's a short list of episodes, isn't it? Actually, no, I really, you know one of the ones I like the most? The, one of the, uh, that early one, what's it called on, with the do- they're on that medical ship. Ah, uh, yes. Um, uh, yeah, I know the one. Uh, I can't recall it. Early, it was very early on. I think it was like the third episode or something. Yeah. That, um, was, a, that was a good one too. I like that. There's I really, lot. that's the vibe I really liked. Yeah, I wasn't too impressed with, I love the setup of arachnids in the UK. Oh, yes, yes. 
Uh, yeah, that was the episode. The, the, the hospital one was the one where they uh, they stepped on the sonic mine on the junk planet, and that put them in That's hospital. Right. Yeah. On hospital ship. And then it becomes. Then it has that that little creature. Mm. Yeah, I quite yeah. liked that one. No, I liked Directors in the UK. I really feel it. It got that vibe of a British procedural. But you're right. There's a couple of gaps in there that could have made it better if mm. they were ironed out. <laughs> so to speak. All right. Well, um, I think we'll go to a track here, which is uh, by a singer called Jahay, who is actually relevant to today's show for reasons which I'll tell you about later. And it's a track called Do I Move You from her album My Heart is an Elephant. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jani Wirtz, fantasy author and artist. And whether you walk in the shadows or the light, you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. Yeah, we have Jihei with Do I Move You from her album uh, My Heart is an Elephant. <laughs> Not a title I'd um, expect to run into. She's a social activist, a South Korean musician and singer and also art installer. When I say that, I don't mean she just puts them up and takes them down. She is an, uh, somebody who does uh, video art installations. Cool. And also an actress. And she is one of the stars of the movie Mortal Engines. Which is a movie that is based upon a series of books, which you may or may not know. It was uh, basically, I felt like a young adult fiction, mm-hmm. steampunk. Yeah. Incredibly steampunk. Um, you know, you've got to love a crankshaft movie and book. Uh, Philip Reeve was the British author and illustrator. Um, he did the Four Mortal Engines saga books and mm-hmm. also another prequel bunch of books which uh, explained how it got there it's the film is set in a post-apocalyptic world they had a thing called the 60 minute war mm-hmm. um, which is not about a television series but it is more about a uh, a special weapon that was okay. used and this is a thousand years later which they do actually kind of explore a little bit in the film and make some good jokes about. Okay. They, they did laugh at those jokes. They and that was the end there. of your enjoyment. <laughs> um, no, look, okay, Weta Digital did the special effects in this and other, you know, Weta divisions. Yep. And they are to die for. Yeah. You know, if you're a steampunk person, you're going to love the, the, look, or the look of perfect. this. Yeah, nice. The production design is great. So if you're going to see it, see it on a big screen. Yeah. Uh, a VMAX at least, you know, because... Um, it's just amazing looking at all that. The the uh, the overriding um, principle of this this post apocalyptic world it's way better than Mad Max. <laughs> you don't just have dicky little Is that cars. Hard, no, not not for me. I'm not a car guy. So you know, I look at post apocalyptic um, uh, road warriors sort of stuff, and I go, yeah, it's not for you. You know, it's got to be at least Tank Girl. Mm, and yeah. Sp- and speaking of tracks. <laughs> These, uh, this is a, the, the principle of this film is municipal Darwinism, which mm. is to say predat- predatory cities, okay. towns and villages on tracks and wheels, uh, perambulating across the wastelands trying to get uh, what resources they can find okay. and preying upon each other. Oh, dear. Yeah, using harpoons and devices so and like stuff. So, like, Snowpiercer, but lots of Snowpiercers that fight each other. Well, I was thinking more like uh, um, Howl's 
prowling castle. Yeah, nice. Okay. <laughs> In this case. Um, oh, and there's a, as an aside, this movie would have done so much better as a, as a Miyazaki anime. Yeah. I could see it, you know. There's so many elements in this. And that is part of its problem. This is a film that that is referencing so many other films Mm. inadvertently and maybe through the plots of the books, which I haven't read. It's directed by Christian Rivers, uh, New Zealand storyboard artist, visual effects supervisor, uh, technician and director. Uh, So he's a Peter Jackson protege. Yes, I knew Peter Jackson's attached to this in some way, isn't he? He's uh, one of the screenwriters and also adapting the book and also um, the producer. So it's all very much from and and christian is also going to uh um, work on the, the dam busters remake that him and jackson are, okay. you know a, a love sort of project. so it's a very in this part of the world production isn't it then? yeah fran walsh philippa boyens and all their lord of the rings yeah, right. people hobbit and that sign and they and i guess they're trying to tap into that audience yeah but they don't do it too effectively it's um I really wanted to like this movie way more than I did. Yeah. You know, the the production design is just to die for. Uh, And there's one scene, for example, where some castaways are walking in the tracks left in the landscape of the wasteland by these cities Mm. and the tracks are a landscape, Mm, you know, and that's just, oh, that's just mind-boggling, that kind of thing. What's missing that makes it not as enjoyable? Perhaps not so much what's missing, although I would say, if I had to say anything, time. Okay. uh, It doesn't, it's not as long-running a film as I think it should be. Right. And it's the exact opposite to The Hobbit, which was like uh, one short novel um, ex- overextended into three big overblown films. Ridiculous. ridiculous. So ridiculous. Yeah. This one actually deserves to be at least two films. Right. Um, because there's so many concepts, some really good ideas So in is this. it meant to be all four books in this one film? I actually thought that might be the case, but it's not. It's one book. This is, but, but the one book is actually bigger than the film in terms of, right. you know. Okay. Um, so they've got too much, too many ideas and too many characters crammed into this mm. and not enough time to unpack them all. Yeah. Um, some we do get to see quite a bit of. An um, uh, actress called Hera Hilmer, an Icelandic uh, girl playing Hester Shaw. Um, she's actually quite interesting. We've seen her before in Da Vinci's Demons. Uh, I, I actually liked, loved her performance. She yeah. was quite good in this. Uh, Robert Sheehan plays a, a, a low class apprentice historian of london okay um we saw him as nathan young in misfits but i won't hold that against him uh, and also in the film adaptation of the mortal instruments book city of bones oh yes yeah so he's in that too and of course we've got hugo weaving oh okay uh and as you heard before uh, and i should say hugo weaving i think does a fine job in this mm. he's playing a sort of a conflicted sort of villain uh, who's a bit covert but a bit overt. Okay. They're quite nuanced. So it sounds like a lot of the pieces are there. It just didn't really come together. No. Um, the cogs in our in our finely tuned steampunk machine don't quite mesh. Just the, yeah. Uh, Jihei, um, Jihei Kim uh, from South Korea, singer, songwriter, actress and so on, um, she is uh, playing... Uh, the leader of the Anti-Traction League, a group of people who think that cities should just stay comfortably put. Ah, okay, and interesting. Not, and not attack others. Yeah, right. Uh, and that's a very actually... What an old-fashioned idea. <laughs> yeah, and the, the eastern um, part of this planet, um, the sec- essentially part Asian part of the planet, mm. is the one that wants peace. So there's some very interesting politics mm. underlying this. And I don't mind that at all. I don't care. Yeah. You know. Uh, so... Um, 
I thought all of those these characters like and there's a, a Stephen Lang who was um, Colonel uh, Quattridge in Avatar. Mm-hmm. He plays um, an undead zombie soldier okay. called Shrike, and he's really good too. And it all could work, but it doesn't quite. It doesn't, slips yeah, away it's from a it. Shame, really. Yeah, I thought so. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm just a bit sad about um, this one. It does have a quite. Um, powerful soundtrack and I, and I picked a really long track and I'm not going to play that today uh, so I'm not going to go there for that and and I, and I thought you know I'll give this um, a maybe yeah. and I really really wish I could give it more than that yeah. but that's the way I felt about it ultimately it came to not as much as it should have been I mean it also hasn't been very widely advertised or promoted like I feel like maybe it hasn't Oh, it's uh, it's had a fair bit. I looked into that because I was wondering about that. You know, I think they dropped the um, the original trailer uh, in the last Star Wars film or something like that. But I haven't really seen anything about it. Like, it's been very... It just sort of came out of nowhere. Mm. But, mm. oh, that's a bit of a shame. So if they're trying to set up a franchise with this one... Not so much. I don't think so because it's really tagged at the box office. So Gosh, there's nothing more awkward to me than movies that clearly are trying to start a franchise... <laughs> And it's just so bad that they can't. Well, this one's not so bad, really. I mean, it's just not terrible, but it's not where it could it's have been. It's not going to be green-lighted for No, I don't, I don't feel like that. Shame. Slopping over <laughs> with zombie uh, shifting creatures. Gears. Shifting gears. Uh, well, actually, considering it's a horror movie, slopping over is actually the right term. Yeah. Overlord. Yes. Uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this one. It's an American weird World War II horror movie. Excellent. It's directed by Julius Avery uh, under the production auspices of Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams. Yes. So J.J.'s waved a wand over this. Yes. It's not a Cloverfield movie, although people thought it might be. And it probably, to be honest, it probably would be a better Cloverfield movie Mm. (laughs) than the last one. Um, Julius Avery is actually an Australian screenwriter and film director. From uh, Western Australia. Interesting. Yeah. So he's worked on a few short films and so on uh, uh, and is also been picked to work on um, something more after this one. <laughs> but I can't remember what it was. Anyway, don't worry about it. But um, he's done a really good job with giving us a film that feels like it's made in the 1980s. Okay. Uh, one of those weird oh. World War II movies from then. Directors love doing that, don't they? Yeah. Uh, it's... Um, uh, written by uh, Billy Ray, a uh, guy who worked on... Um, well, you might know him mostly from The Hunger Games. He wrote the screenplay okay. for that, uh, as well as uh, was one of the creators of a science fiction show called Earth 2 back in the uh, the 1990s. I can remember that show. Potential, that one. And Mark L. Smith also worked on this one, who has um, worked on The Revenant. Mm-hmm. And he's also uh, writing the script for the fourth film in the Star Trek series. Oh. Ah, so, yeah, some interesting guy, people in this. I wonder what they're going to do with that, considering. This movie stars Jovan Adepo as Private Ed Boyce, who's a paratrooper. Uh, he's, um, the actor is uh, British-Nigerian, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, he is the, the focus of this film. 
So a person of colour is the focus of this uh, horror science fiction film. He does a great job, mm-hmm. really. He's, a, he's a, a new recruit to this unit that goes into Nazi Germany just before D-Day. They've got to knock out a radio installation to, to uh, make it easier to land on the beaches. Yep. And it's like, sort of like that Tarantino, Rodriguez sort of thing where you go in expecting to do one thing. Yeah, right. And it turns out to be not at all what you're expected. And thus the movie begins. There's a movie called The Keep which you might want to look up, uh, which has some similar overtones of weird World War II. But really, it could be a, any um, mission that they send Sergeant Fury and his howling commandos on. Mm. And I actually thought it was going to be a Nazi werewolf film, but yeah, it's not. Yeah, the trailer kind of seems to throw out a couple of hinted threreds of, you know, is it a monster film? Is it science gone wrong? Is it a war thing? It's all is it of supernatural? Those. It's many things. Yeah. Uh, Wyatt Russell, who is one of uh, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's um, son, oh. uh, plays a, another um, paratrooper on the uh, American side. Uh, there's a bunch of other people in here who all do really good jobs. I thought it was a good cast, uh, particularly uh, Matt Hild, Olivia playing um, uh, Chloe, a French-German civilian who helps the paratroopers. Uh, Pilo Asbach playing a... Um, I'll, I'll take a run at this, playing SS Hauptsturmführer, mm. <laughs> Johann... Asbach, so he's actually got his own name in this. Oh, <laughs> he's a Danish actor who's always going to play German World War Two types. Uh, but we know him as um, Euron Greyjoy from Game of Thrones. Ah. Mm. Uh, another person who I spotted in this one is um, Dominic uh, Applewhite. Uh, or is it more? Sorry, no, I've, I've, I've conflated this. Ian DeCastecker, I think. Yeah, anyway. Yes, no, that's him, Andy Casedecker, playing a, a photographer, and he's uh, Agent Fitz in um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Ah. So a lot of people in here are churning around through the genres. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I, I thought this movie moves along really well. It has a killer opening sequence um, to rival anything seen in Saving Private Ryan or, or Edge of Tomorrow. Okay. Uh, where you just really find out that war is really not a great thing to be involved in at all. Uh, and... Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, the visual effects are all done by ILM. Some great um, prosthetics effects. It's very gory. Really, yeah. really gory. The trailer looks like it would be not for the faint of heart. It's not. <laughs> uh, music's by Jed Kurzel. You know, there's He's a bit Australian. Of, yes, that's right. Um, there's a lot of um, stuff in here that uh, reminds me of all those other weird World War Two movies. Zone Troopers. Uh, these names will be familiar to people who followed the tropes along. Uh, you know, um, Iron Sky in a way. Yeah, uh, you know, sure. There's a lot of stuff in this. It's, it's not played for laughs. Mm. Um, and... You know, if you want a, a good little World War Two monster movie, this is this is one that uh, I think will will meet the, meet the bill for you. It's called Overlord, and it's out now in the cinemas. Um, I don't have time to talk about anything else today, apart from to recommend Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Yes, one of the great superhero films of this um, okay. decade of this year, not decade. I should say, <laughs> actually, it's pretty good in decade decadal terms. Uh, it is an animated film, um, but it's really a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, if you want to see a good historical film about a, um, a cutting edge, cutting through female writer from the 19th century, Colette. Mm-hmm. And if you're into a bit of <laughs> a further weird variation on Deadpool, Once Upon a Deadpool, mm-hmm. with 15 extra minutes of Fred Savage. 
said. <laughs> yeah, enough said. We'll talk about those um, next week anyway. Uh, and that's it for today's Zero G. Um, Gosh, it's gone quickly, hasn't it? Yeah, we're up to our, what, Christmas show next week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Christmas show. Yeah, I wish I could actually get the track from... Um, uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse that they play at the end as a Spider-Bells song. Interesting. Which is, um, right. Pretty cool. Anyway, uh, we will go out with another track from G. Hay, which will do our um, David Bowie today Lovely. as well. Uh, she's doing a cover. Like last week, we had a cover of Life on Mars. It's very coverable Very song. coverable. And coming up next is Kate with Astral Glamour. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.